0: I want to ask you, if you would, please, to go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 14. This is our second to the last week in our series called Road Signs to Finding God's Will. Next week we'll finish this series up. And we've been going through some signs that I hope have been helpful to you in trying to guide us in finding God's will and listening to His voice and hearing what it is that He is saying to us and going where He leads us. Today we're coming to a road sign which may be one of the most difficult ones to talk about in the series so far. This is the way station sign. We're going to talk today about counting the cost. What it means to count the cost to truly follow after Christ. Counting the cost. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. It says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them He said, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I heard a quote recently which says, North American Christianity has become a consumerist menu of personal spiritual care products intended to assure eternal life at minimal cost to the consumer. I want to read that again. North American Christianity has become a consumerist menu of personal spiritual care products intended to assure eternal life at minimal cost to the consumer. Now, if you've grown up here in the South your whole life and you've never traveled the world, you've never had the opportunity to see the church suffering in other parts of the world, then this statement will mean nothing to you or very little. It may even offend you. But those two words, minimal cost... Describe much of what is passed off today as true Christianity And I've watched a trend over the last decade or so Of churches offering people one incentive after another And bending over backwards to make sure that The Sunday morning church experience Is filled with every imaginable pleasantry To tickle the senses and delight the listener And yet the question that I ask today is, does that line up with the call of discipleship which Jesus extended to those who wanted to follow Him? Has much of North American Christianity today taken the path of what someone called easy believism? And where are you and I on this subject today? Have we ever stopped to count the cost of what it means to follow Christ? Let's look at these verses together in verse 25 The first thing it says that large crowds Were traveling with Jesus You know it strikes me that in any large crowd of followers There are always a percentage of those Who are not truly committed to the cause There's always a certain number of people Who are just along for the ride and the free handouts Large crowds We're following Him. But Jesus never focused on numbers. He focused on people's hearts. You see that throughout His ministry. He was never concerned about numbers. Never once do I see Jesus laying a plan to gain more followers. As a matter of fact, if you study the life of Christ, you'll see over and over again that Jesus deliberately thinned out the crowds. The closer he got to the cross. Why is it that so many churches today are doing whatever they can to get larger and larger crowds in? Is there anything wrong with big churches? No. But I have to stop and ask myself, are these large crowds coming for the right reasons? Are they truly being told the cost of discipleship? Some churches are afraid to say what needs to be said from the pulpit for fear of running people off. My brother Tim, who lives in South Africa, some of you have met him. When he was here back in April, I was having breakfast with him down in Rome, Georgia one morning. And he was telling me about a church there in South Africa. Uh, I forget what the connection was. It's not the church that he went to, but I believe maybe his son went to a youth group there. And a very controversial issue was being completely overlooked in the church. And it was an issue of black and white in Scripture. And Tim heard about this and went to, I think it was the youth pastor, and said to him, why are you guys not taking a stand on this? Why are you not speaking out on what the Bible says we need to speak out on? And he said the pastor kind of hemmed and hawed for a little bit and then finally said, well, if we spoke out about that, our numbers would drop. I said, you're kidding. He said that to you? Tim said, yeah, he sure did. He said he's dead wrong, but at least he's honest. The crowds were quick to follow Jesus when they thought that He was going to overthrow the Roman rule and set up His own kingdom here on earth. Oh, they were clamoring for Him. They were quick to follow Jesus when He was multiplying the loaves and fishes. Thousands of people were following Him. They were quick to follow Him when they thought they were going to get something out of it. And yet you follow the story through to the end and ask yourself, where were those crowds when Jesus hung dying like a criminal on the cross? Well, they were gone. Even His own disciples fled And left him to die alone except for John. The only one who stood with him to the end. It's the same today in churches, I fear. It's easy to get crowds in if you have clever enough marketing tactics. And if you offer all the right perks, you can get people in. But again, we must ask ourselves, is this the approach that Jesus would take? And I I fully realize that I run the risk of being misunderstood by some of you when I say what I have said many times here, and that is that I'm not concerned with seeing LifePoint grow too fast. Because it's not crowds I'm interested in, it's commitment. I believe Jesus was focused on the very same thing. I have not spent one sleepless night wondering how to grow this church faster. Not one. Because I believe God is building this body family by family, person by person as He wants it to grow. And I'm very pleased with that. Large crowds, it says. Large crowds were following Him. Look at the next phrase in verse 25. It says, And turning to them, He said, I always love it when the Bible says that Jesus turned and said something. You know, when I play out the Bible scenes in my mind sort of like a movie, whenever it says that Jesus turned and said something, I always hear the dramatic music begin to swell because it's like, uh-oh, look out. The whole scene is about to change completely. There's something that happens when when Jesus turns and says something you always see the scene change completely the mood totally changes and that's exactly what happens here I wonder why Jesus turned when he did and you must remember at this point he had already fed the 5,000 5,000 men it says plus women and children easily 10,000 people there that's a pretty good following that was just in one place And as Jesus moved about from place to place, the Bible says words spread about Him. They heard about the miracles. They heard about the healings, the feedings. And crowds began to come. Tens of thousands of people were clamoring after this man at this point. And here they were going along and all of a sudden it says Jesus turned and said to them, I wonder if the crowd was talking about all that this man Jesus was going to do for them. All that they were going to get from Him, I wonder. And I wonder if Jesus heard that and just stopped and turned. And He says to them in verse 26, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be My disciple." And here Jesus is in essence saying to these crowds, we've just arrived at a way station. It's time for you to count the cost. Now we need to understand that what Jesus is saying here, when He uses the word hate, He's not telling us to hate our mother and father, our wife, our children, our brother, our sister, because that would be a contradiction of Scripture, and Jesus never contradicted Scripture. The Bible, of course, tells us to honor our father and mother. It tells men to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Very simply, what Jesus is saying here is that our love for him must be so strong, it must be so exclusive and so supreme that it makes all other loves look like hate by comparison. Jesus is famous for using extreme examples to catch people's attention and make them understand what He was saying. He's saying to them, you really want to be My disciples, do you? You crowds, all you thousands clamoring after Me, you want to be My disciples? Well, i tell you that if you love anyone more than Me, you cannot be My disciple. If there's anyone that you are not willing to give up For Jesus, then you cannot be his disciple. For many people down through the centuries, the choice to follow Christ has meant being cut off immediately and disowned by their own family. For many, today, in certain parts of the world, becoming a Christian carries with it a death sentence. You say, all that kind of stuff went on years ago. It doesn't go on today. My friends, yes, it does. There are parts of the world, Muslim countries, the Sudan, parts of China. There are many places in the world where professing Christ carries with it prison or death. And there are many, many people who after naming the name of Christ and saying that I'm going to be a follower of His have had to count the cost by being abandoned and disowned by their own family. I'll give you an example of this that's very close to home for me. My own mother says that she remembers as a 16-year-old girl walking home from the church service after having just given her life to Jesus Christ. She walked into the little house where she lived with her hard-working mother and an alcoholic father. And she shared the news with them that she had just become a Christian. She told me the story that her father flew into a rage and began smashing up the house. Then grabbed her and pushed her against the wall, got right in her face, and said to her, you either choose Jesus or you choose me. And he said, but I want to warn you, if you choose Jesus, you'll never see me again. I want to tell you, church, no 16-year-old should ever have to make such a choice. But it happens. And my mother looked at him and with a trembling voice said, Dad, I have to choose Jesus. She said he packed his things and left, and she never saw him alive again. Never. Now, there's an example, not from 2,000 years ago, but just from our lifetime, of someone who had to count the cost to follow Christ. Most of us, thankfully, I suppose, have no idea what that's like. I mean, I wouldn't wish that on any of us. Some of you have. Some of you have. Most of us cannot even comprehend such a thing. For us, following Christ has been easy by comparison. We haven't really had to give up anybody. But Jesus says, if there's anyone in your life who is keeping you from truly following me, you better be willing to say goodbye. Goodbye. Unfortunately, many a man, many a woman, many a young person has failed to become all that God intended them to become simply because they've allowed the love and the loyalty or the intimidation of someone else to keep them from truly following Jesus. When Jesus calls us, we cannot let anyone stop us from following Him. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. You cannot follow God without letting go of something. You cannot follow God without letting go of something. You see, the call to follow Christ does not come without cost. Oh, I know we don't hear that much today. But I want to tell you, there's always a cost to following Jesus. Always. Young people, you remember that. Always. But we'll get to the other side of that in just a moment. Following Jesus sometimes means saying goodbye, even if not in a permanent sense, but saying goodbye temporarily to people that you dearly love. I remember as a boy, our family, numerous times as we had traveled back and forth to the mission field, I remember our family boarding planes here in the States and getting ready to head back over to Australia and then later to South Africa. And I didn't understand it all as a a young boy, but I I remember times sitting in the plane looking at my parents out of the corner of my eye and seeing silent tears run down their cheeks. See, because God had called them to follow Him. And it meant saying goodbye to people they loved. There were sacrifices required to follow Him. There were tears involved. It meant us kids growing up without ever knowing our grandparents, really. Following Christ never comes without a cost. And you can never follow Him without letting go of something. Let me pause right here And ask you this morning, have you allowed anyone else to keep you from doing what God is asking you to do? Is there anybody in your life, anybody else in your life who is hindering you from following Christ and being a true disciple? Notice carefully in verse 26, lest we should skip over it, that Jesus said, not only must we love Him more than anyone else, but we must love Him more than our own life. Our own life. You see, not only can others sometimes keep us from following Christ and being a true disciple, but sometimes we can keep ourselves from following after God and going where He's called us to go, doing what He's asked us to do. Maybe you don't have anybody else in your life this morning who is hindering you from following Christ fully and being his disciple. But maybe, if you take an honest look at it, perhaps you are your own worst enemy when it comes to following Jesus. Perhaps there are things in your own life that are keeping you from following him and from being his disciple. You know, man has always been a self-centered creature, haven't we? We always have been. Ever since the fall of This has been the plight of man, that we've been more concentrated on taking care of ourselves, of our own needs and our own wants, first and foremost. And so these words of Jesus, to let go of others and to deny ourselves are very hard words for us humans so accustomed to self-indulgence to hear. If there's something in your life this morning that is grieving the Lord, then you must be willing to give that up in order to be a true disciple. You remember the very first road sign we talked about in this series? The very first one was the yield sign. I told you that's where all of this must start. Anytime we want to follow God and know His will, it must begin on bended knee. Yielding our will to His. And Too often our own pride, our own plans can keep us from following Christ. Someone once said, when the will of God crosses the will of man, somebody has to die. Boy, is that ever true. When the will of God crosses the will of man, somebody has to die. You might say, oh, I'm a follower of Christ and you you want to call Him your Master, but how can you call Him your Master when you've not yielded your all to Him? I wonder today, is there anything in your life that you've been unwilling to surrender to the Master? Jesus said in another place in Scripture that we must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him. Anyone who is unwilling to lay down his own life, to hate his own life in comparison to following Christ is not worthy to be His disciple. Thirdly, not only must we be willing to put Christ above others, not only must we be willing to put Christ above ourselves, but in verse 27, Jesus said, if we want to be his disciple, we must be willing to carry a cross. He said, Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What is this cross that we're called to carry? well I want to be very careful here I, I take I take issue with um, a number of commentators and theologians on on this point on what it means to carry a cross you know again I, I don't want to be flippant about this because we were born where we were born we live where we live and that's the way it is and I don't want to make us feel guilty for being born in a country with religious freedom while others have suffered but I also want to try this morning to create a balance for you And show you how good we have it here What does it mean for us in America to carry a cross? Well, you know, you hear people use that term very lightly Oh, just found out my mother-in-law is moving in I guess we've all got a cross to bear <laughs> You know Well, somebody cut me off in traffic today yeah I guess we all have a cross to bear Listen, folks, I've taught you to always read Scripture in the context of which it took place. I know that the only way we can truly look at Scripture is through the lens of our own experiences, through the lens of today, if you will. But we must be willing to set that lens aside and try to look at Scripture and understand it in light of when it was written and what it meant then. A cross to us today is something that we wear around our neck. And it's a beautiful symbol because for us on this side of the cross, it's a sign of victory. And it's a wonderful symbol. Thank God that we can wear the cross around our neck. But listen, let's step back before the cross when this story took place. The cross was the worst, most cruel form of Punishment and death that had ever been devised. And when Jesus turned and said to all these happy people who were cheering and shouting and following him, We want to be your disciples, Lord, he says to them, Do you? Let me tell you something. If you're not willing to carry a cross, you cannot be my disciple. I imagine when he said that and his voice echoed through the hillside. One guy must have turned and said, Fred, what did he say? I don't know, Ralph. Did he say something about carrying a cross? Well, I, I think that's what he said. What What happened to all this talk about miracles? And remember the, the feeding of the 5,000? That We want some more of that. What Did he say something about a cross? See, a cross to these people was not something that they carried around their neck formed out of gold. These people knew that when anyone took up a cross and carried it, they were going to be nailed to it down at the end of the road. And they were going to suffer and die on it. And I believe, I believe, this is my view of this, okay? I may be wrong. But I believe What Jesus was saying to these people, if you take it in context and you read the writings of Paul later where he said, I am crucified with Christ. I believe that Jesus was not saying to them, hey, you guys are going to have some hard days every once in a while if you follow me. That's your cross to bear. Somebody might be mean to you every once in a while. That's your cross to bear. I don't believe that's what he was saying at all. I believe... What Jesus was telling these happy-go-lucky crowds was, Listen, folks, you want to follow me? You're going to have to give your life. You're going to have to die while living. You're going to have to be willing to put to death your old self, your old ways, your old desires. Your attachments to the things of this world are going to have to die in order to follow me. It's funny how so many people say, I'm willing to die for Jesus, but so few are even willing to live for Him. And this dying to Christ is a dying which does not bring physical death. It's being dead to ourself while living for Him. Well, let's move on. Finally, not only must we be willing to bear a cross... But notice in the last part of verse 27, this is very easy to miss. Jesus said, if we're going to be His disciples, we must follow Him. We must follow Him. It's not enough to stand where we are and say, yes, I'm a disciple. And then be unwilling to go where the Lord calls us to go. That's not a follower of Jesus. We must follow where He leads. We must go where He bids us to go. I love the story of when Jesus came and called the disciples the first time to follow Him. And I tell you what, we can we can knock the disciples all we want to for all the dumb things they did. And I've done some of that from this pulpit right here. But I'll tell you one thing, you've got to give them credit. When Jesus called, they followed. Matthew 4.20 after Jesus had come and called them it says at once they left their nets and they followed Him they followed Him the last requirement Jesus says in these verses in order to be a true disciple not enough to talk about it not enough to just show up at church once a week and schedule God into your calendar on Sundays are you willing to follow Him? You say, well, the disciples, I mean, they were, you know, that was way back then. They were just a bunch of Neanderthals. See, they didn't know any better. They left their nets. Well, that's no big deal. They left their nets. Listen, you know what their nets represented to them? It was everything to them. It was their livelihood. It's all they knew. It was their security. When the Bible says that they left their nets, listen, that's a huge statement they left everything to follow him remember that old song that we never hear anymore I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back though none go with me still I will follow no turning back some would say that these words of Jesus are too harsh And we should only preach about love and joy and happiness if we want people to come to Christ. And while love and joy are part of the Bible story, thank God they are. There's another side to that coin. Jesus never shrank back from telling the crowds what it would cost them to follow Him. You know, I I thought about this. I wonder how quickly a church would fill up today if Jesus was the pastor and he preached the kinds of sermons that we've just read here in Luke's Gospel today, I wonder. I wonder how many crowds would be packing into that church to follow him. It's an interesting thing to me that Jesus never made it easy for people to follow him. He never did. Remember the man who came to Jesus and said, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. Follow you anywhere. Let me paraphrase. Jesus said, Really? You will? Come here. Let me tell you something. Foxes have holes in the ground where they live. Birds of the air have nests. I don't even have a place to lay my head. Do you still want to follow me? Interesting. We want to make it so easy for people to follow Christ today. And we quote verses like John 10.10, but we only quote the second half. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And we splash that all over our church billboards. Come and find life abundantly. Why don't we quote the first half of that verse where Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's the other side of following Christ. One of the preachers from years ago, I believe it was Finney, said this, perhaps we should build a wall around Christianity and line the top of that wall with barbed wire and anyone who scales the wall and braves the barbed wire to get to Jesus will know they mean business. You say, ah, that's going a bit far. I tell you, you look at the words of Jesus and you have to wonder if it is. Jesus says, unless you're willing to surrender everything to me, you cannot call me Lord. I wonder if this perhaps speaks to you this morning. Have you ever counted the cost of following Christ? Have you ever had to? Have you ever taken the time to? Has your Christianity up to this point been more of an add-on feature to your life rather than being a total transformation of your life? See, Jesus won't play second fiddle to anybody, whether it's somebody else, whether it's you yourself, whether it's your unwillingness to carry a cross and die in this life for Him, whether it's just your unwillingness to follow wherever He goes. Jesus says, It's all or it's nothing when it comes to following me. I tell you folks, there is a cost to following Christ. But here's the good news. The cost of following Him is far less a cost than not following Him. Many of you understand that, don't you? Those of you with some some miles on you, you understand that the cost of following Christ is great but it's a far greater cost in the end to not follow him have you given everything to Jesus today we're not playing church are we life point have you given it all to Jesus missionary Jim Elliot wrote these words prophetically enough before he was murdered by the very people he went to reach for Christ He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray. Father, this is one of those messages that come along from time to time that we know we must bring. And Lord, I know and we all know that there are so many other things in the Bible that are so much more pleasant to talk about. And yet, Lord, You've told us that we cannot be Your disciple without counting the cost. And Lord, truly we don't know much of what that means here in this country. But I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has been... Spoken to by your word. Perhaps someone who has allowed another person to keep them from being your disciple. Perhaps someone who has themselves been holding on to things without surrender. And thereby not being able to be your disciple. Lord, perhaps there is someone here today who has never come to the cross. They've never surrendered their life to You for the first time. And Your Word is speaking to them right now. Lord, I pray that You would draw them to Yourself. And I pray that they would know what it means this morning to give their life to You and to be Your disciple. We pray, Lord, that these hard words from Jesus this morning would mean a great deal to us and help us to become more like Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.